Welcome, welcome to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. Yo, I'm your co-host, Austin. And we are here to deliver yet another episode of your favorite podcast, Mama Mystery. Where we're going to put the mystery in the mama. And the mama in the mystery. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It actually makes it sound like like a sex and not knowing who the kid is or something. Anyway, so we have... Inappropriate, Austin, and honestly not not productive to the podcast. Not even a little bit. So anyway, we have some new pod... Or pod... Patreons to thank. So, Veronica Gonzalez. Veronica. Fran Blackburn. Franny. Megan Robinson. Maggie. And Rachel Riley. Rachel Riley. Um, Thanks, everybody. Thank you guys so much. Rachel Riley knows you very well. She thinks you're as cute as I do. What's that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you, Rachel. Spot. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't thousands. even. I didn't even warn you. I was gonna do that. Nope. So anyway, um, today we've got a pretty crazy story for you. I don't know if you're ready for this, but uh, born ready. We're gonna dive right in. Dive in. So today's case was recommended by Sarah Dimitrov. Dimitrov. I'm so. I mean, I always second guess the way I pronounce names. So Sarah, I'm really sorry if I butchered that. Dimitrov. Dimitrov I think is what it looks like. Dimitrov. Yeah. Don't know her, but that's how I'd say it. Okay. And if I'd say it like that, it's probably right. Right. So anyway, if you have a case that you want to recommend, just message me on Instagram at mama.mystery. I have a list of recommendations that I'm going through, and I appreciate all of your suggestions. I literally have a note on my phone, and it's like, I mean, I can scroll through it with all the suggestions, and I love it. It makes it so much easier for me to choose cases. So... Without further ado, today's case is about Christine Paolilla. So Christine was born on March 31st of 1986 in Long Island, New York, to Mother Lori, a stay-at-home mom, and her father, Charles, who worked in construction. And she had one older brother. When Christine was only two years old, her dad, who happened to be addicted to heroin, was tragically killed while he was at work. Apparently, while he was at work, this huge pile of bricks fell on top of him. He was working in like a high rise or something. That's pretty tragic. Yeah. He did have a life insurance policy, but it named Christine as the beneficiary, and she wasn't able to touch it until she was 18. So... Shortly after this accident, Christine's mom was really struggling. She didn't have a job or any income. She had just lost her husband and father to her kids. She had a really difficult time coping and began abusing drugs and alcohol, um, which eventually led to her losing custody of her kids to her parents. So when Christine was in kindergarten, she's living with her grandparents And she's diagnosed with alopecia, which is a condition that results in hair loss. And in Christine's case, it caused her to lose all of her hair, her eyebrows, and even her eyelashes. So, I know. So she was forced to wear wigs, but in the early 90s, wigs were not like they are today. Today, there have been so many advancements in the quality of hair extensions and wigs that some are really indistinguishable from a person's actual hair. And I mean, some are made with real hair, but I'm just saying like the lace front wigs and everything, some people are able to like pull these wigs off. And I mean, I would never know it it was a wig, but 
back then in the 90s, um, real hair wigs were and still are incredibly expensive. And Christine wore wigs that more resembled like a wig that you would wear on Halloween. I was going to say Halloween costume. Yeah, so they were more like costume wigs, even if they were a natural color. But this drew a lot of attention towards Christine, and kids were just brutal towards her. They would make fun of her for not having hair, for having super thick glasses, because she also had really poor eyesight. Some kids would even snatch her wig off her head and run off. So sad. Makes you want to just freaking whoop it. Yeah. If I ever heard that my kid did that, I'd beat his ass. I'd beat his ass. I would. I would. That is not okay to just be a jerk for no reason. But needless to say, this took a huge toll on her self-esteem. So eventually, with help, Christine's mom overcame her addiction. She became sober, so she was able to get her kids back. And she even remarried. And so she moved her family to a suburb of Houston called Clear Lake City, Texas. So... This area was near NASA's Johnson Space Center, Uh, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, um, all of these like big companies. It was like home to their headquarters. So it was home to a lot of really wealthy engineers and it's a beautiful affluent area. So at this point, Christine is 14 and her life is finally a little less chaotic because she's not being shuffled around between family members. She's got a solid home in a nice area. She's going to Clear Lake City High School, but she's still a little bit of an outcast. She doesn't really have any friends. She doesn't know how to do her hair and her makeup. And um, in fact, some of her makeup, like she just really was so bad at it that it almost looked clownish. She just, she really just genuinely had no idea what she was doing. So anyway, with all of this, she became really lonely and she started to turn to recreational drugs to cope with her loneliness. But then she meets a boy named Chris Snyder. So Chris Snyder was 15 and soon after meeting, they became inseparable. But Christine's parents really did not care for Chris. She's her grandparents, right? No, she's living with her mom now. Her mom and her stepdad. Yeah, did you space out when I was... Man, I must have. Oh, my, my head God, must've. Austin. I want to take a second to apologize to everybody, and let's continue. <laughs> so anyway, she's going to Clear Lake City High School. Okay, did you catch that part? Mm-hmm. She is kind of doing some drugs. She that. meets a boy named Chris Snyder. Okay. I got all of it except the part where she's living with her parents. Yeah. Her mom and stepdad. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, her parents really didn't care for Chris. He was very pushy, aggressive, controlling. He also was into hard drugs like ecstasy and cocaine. But for Christine, this was the first time she was getting male attention because growing up, boys did nothing but make fun of her. Her dad was killed when she was little, so she just had never, she never really had like a father figure growing up or like a male figure in her life. A male fit, yeah, like. Someone to show her good, positive male attention. So anyway, it kind of seems like this is just a classic case of a girl with a void from a missing father who's desperate to fill that void. And often that desperation can just be blinding. 
So to nobody's surprise, this relationship became toxic pretty quickly. Chris was dominating in the relationship, but Christine became obsessive and super jealous as well. She would call him 15 to 20 times a day, show up at his house, pounding on the doors and the windows, causing a huge scene. She would even sleep on their front lawn and threaten to kill his family, including his sister, until he he would finally let her in. So Chris's sister, Brandy, described Christine as a cancer to the family. And I mean, I can't, I can't disagree. Tough, Sounds like it was a pretty toxic situation. So um, one night, they reached a whole new level of crazy when Christine was screaming at Chris. And then she just suddenly stopped, stared him down, and licked his face from the chin all the way up to the top of his face. And then she spit on the ground and walked away. Where, who, where'd you get this information? <laughs> the internet. <laughs> that sounds like bullshit. It's not. It's a story that Brandy, his sister, said in, a, in an article. I cite my sources. I know you do, but I'm just saying that sounds like bullshit. I mean, it sounds like crazy. Kelly made that part up. I did not, guys. Kidding. I did not. It was in an article, and I cite it in my, in my thing. So she's screaming at him, licks him from the chin. And then she the just licks thing, his face. on the ground and bounces i i don't know i don't know why can i tell the listeners yeah kelly did that to me one time oh my god austin (laughs) no i never did that just sounds like a bs story it does i get it because i i try to make sense of it and i can't i simply cannot so okay so um then in (laughs) night In 1999, Chris was arrested after he was caught stealing to support his drug habit. So Christine was left all alone again. That is until she's befriended by two of the more popular girls in school, Tiffany Rowell and Rachel Colorudis. So Tiffany and Rachel were a year older than Christine, and they felt really bad for her. So they took her under their wing, gave her a makeover. They taught her how to dress, how to put on makeup. They took her shopping. It's very reminiscent of Clueless. Have you seen that movie? I don't believe so. Oh, you're missing out. Um, In this movie... Cher and Dion take Ty, the lonely new student who also happens to have a Brooklyn accent. They give her this makeover. They teach her how to interact socially and gain confidence. And um, so anyway, but with with uh, Christine, they took her they took her wig shopping to buy like more natural looking wigs. They became so close that Christine eventually trusted them to actually take her wig off in front of them, which was not something she ever ever did. So by 2003, Christine had gone had undergone such a radical change that she went from this lonely girl, kind of an ugly duckling, to this like swan that got voted Miss Irresistible by her school student body. Wow. Yeah. I wasn't seeing that coming up. Talk about a glow up. 180. Mm Mm-hmm. The blow up. Yeah. So that same year, Rachel and Tiffany graduated from Clear Lake High School, leaving Christine behind. Christine gave Rachel a school picture of herself with a note on the back that read, damn, we've had some crazy memories. I love you. And all the other little sentiments that you write on your school you yearbook picture. You in yearbooks? Hags. Have a great summer. Hags. Call me, Austin. That's what I would have written in your, in your yearbook. Hags. Have a great summer. Love, hearts, Kelly. Also, here's my number. 
And then, you, and then I would wait patiently by the phone all summer until you called me. Until you found out my number and then called me 27 times a day and slept on my front lawn. <laughs> and then Damn. licked your face. <laughs> wow, yikes. Anyway, back to the story. So Rachel kept this picture in her wallet. And Rachel and Tiffany got a house together. They got a job together working at a strip club called Club Exotica. But they were not strippers. They were waitresses. Anyway, Rachel had been accepted into college for that fall. So during the summer of 2003, they just had plans to like live it up and have fun. Live it up and drink it down, baby. YOLO, right? So anyway, the house they lived in was in a pretty quiet neighborhood, a really nice area, but the house was pretty big. So they often had people coming and going. And two of the men that frequently stayed at the house were Tiffany's boyfriend, Marcus Priscilla, and his cousin, Adelbert Sanchez. Adelbert? Adelbert. Mm Mm-hmm. So Adelbert and Marcus did smoke and casually dealt a little bit of weed, but they were by no means like big time dealers. It was more recreational for them. And the house in Clear Lake was just kind of like a party destination where a lot of people just came to party. Meanwhile, Christine is still only 17. She's going to Clear Lake High School. She's working behind the makeup counter at Walgreens, and she's beginning to feel abandoned by her friends and left out of all the fun, which I think can create some jealousy, maybe a little resentment, some FOMO, certainly. But lucky for her, she wouldn't be lonely long because that same summer, Chris Snyder was released from juvenile detention and was now 21 years old. Oh, God. Here comes Chris. Here comes old Chris. Once they reconnected, they picked up right where they left off, and Christine brought her boyfriend to her friend's house so so that he could meet Rachel, Tiffany, Marcus, and Adelbert. He hit it off with Marcus and Adelbert, possibly even buying drugs from them. We don't know. It's just an assumption. But Tiffany and Rachel were not impressed. They thought he was a loser, that she could do so much better. And this devastated Christine because she really only cared about Rachel and Tiffany's opinions and only sought their approval. She never even cared if her parents liked Chris or not. She just cared if Tiffany and Rachel did. But then on July 18th of 2003, Houston police discovered the bodies of four teenagers inside Tiffany and Rachel's home. And the bodies were those of Marcus, Adelbert, Tiffany, and Rachel. Whoa. The scene was absolutely Horrid, and there are pictures, pictures and video on the internet. If you're into that kind of thing, if you want to look them up, but they're awful. I mean, they're one of the more vicious crime scenes I've seen. Like some, some you see, and it's like someone was just shot in one spot, and maybe it was their bed or something. I mean, this is like the whole house is just a mess. Are you done? Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry for sneezing. We'll probably get one starred. Idiot face keeps sneezing in the background. <laughs> Dumb blonde chick reading it kept drinking her water. Oh my gosh. <laughs> JK, that was away. so rude. JK, JK. <laughs> okay, so back to this horrible crime scene. <laughs> Sorry. People are going to be like, why'd you laugh during that? It's just, we were having fun. That's why. Okay, back to the story, though. Back to the story and this awful crime scene. Okay, but for real, all four victims were shot multiple times. Marcus suffered from gunshots, but also um, multiple blunt force head injuries. 
Over 40 bullets were fired from at least two different weapons. 40? 40 freaking bullets. That's a lot. A lot, a lot. Um, Tiffany and her boyfriend, Marcus, were still sitting on the couch with their feet propped up in front of them, literally just like you're sitting right now. And Tiffany's hands were even folded together on her lap, suggesting that they were completely caught off guard. Adelbert was found on the floor in front of the couch, but Rachel got the absolute worst of the attack. She was shot 12 times with the majority of them to like her lower torso and like groin area. Um, And in the midst of the attack, she was crawling on the floor because there's like a blood trail behind her. And it appears that maybe she was reaching for her cell phone. Her cell phone was found found right next to her hand and the numbers 911 were dialed but she just was never able to press send before she was eventually attacked again to her head so she suffered from blunt force trauma to her head likely when she was found reaching for the phone both girls had also been shot in the crotch making this attack incredibly personal. I was just going to say, so like based off of past ones you've said, this is like a very personal and passionate attack. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely doesn't... Well, I don't know. Let me just keep talking. So when investigators arrived on the scene, you would have thought they had tons of evidence to go off of because the place was ransacked. Blood was all over the floors, all over the walls. But shocking, shockingly, they were not able to get any viable fingerprints or DNA samples. They did find shell casings that belonged to at least two different weapons, but there was no sign of forced entry. And with Tiffany and Marcus relaxed on the couch, it led them to believe that they must have known the assailants. And when they investigated the friends who found the scene, they did admit to police that Marcus and Adelbert dealt drugs. So their immediate thought was that this was like a drug-related crime. But um, they also asked neighbors if anyone had seen anything suspicious that day. And one neighbor said that he noticed two people walk up to the house that he had never seen before earlier that afternoon, but they never did hear any gunshots. So they never thought anything of it until police showed up. So he did his best to give them a description for a sketch. Meanwhile, the police went through the victim's call logs and tracked down anyone that had been in contact with the four of them in the last 48 hours, but it leads to essentially nothing. So when Christine learns of her friend's murders, she is devastated and so terrified that even as a senior in high school, she started sleeping in her parents' bed. Her classmates feel horrible for her knowing how close she was to the victims. These were her two best friends, her two only friends, really. And a lot of those classmates knew Rachel and Tiffany, so they were devastated as well. They remembered the girls as being so sweet and compassionate, just good girls, and the whole community was just stunned. This sort of thing did not happen there. I feel like I say that in every case, but you know that's what makes these so shocking sometimes is just the depravity of the crime and also just the fact that like things don't happen in places like this. So the media was all over the case and the tips continued to pour in to no avail. The case remained unsolved and the reward grew to $100,000 for information that could lead to an arrest, which was at the time the biggest reward that Crime Stoppers had ever had. 
So Christine eventually graduates from high school, but she had a horrible time coping with the loss of her best friends. So she started things back up with Chris, started using again until she was eventually arrested for shoplifting and was ordered into a rehab facility. While she was in the rehab facility, she finally cut ties with Chris for good and started a relationship with a fellow heroin addict that she met in rehab named Justin Rott, which by the way, that is one of the biggest rules in rehab. You're not supposed to start new relationships while you're in there, especially with a fellow recovering addict. It can be totally distracting from the whole process. But anyway, their relationship was fast, hot, and heavy. And not only that, but now Christine, who's 18, finally receives the $360,000 from her dad's life insurance policy. So a terrible time. Oh, yeah. So Justin sees this and immediately marries her right out of rehab less than a year after they met. On July 8th of 2006, this case has been cold for three years when Houston police receive a new anonymous tip. And this anonymous caller met Christine while they were in rehab and said that Christine had been bragging about killing Rachel while she tried to dial 911 and that her and her boyfriend, Chris, killed three other people as well. This information was not known to the public. It was information that only the police and the killer could have known. So it was clear that this person was telling the truth. And just FYI, so you know, because Austin, like if you're listening, you know he doesn't really know much about true crime. But that's a lot of the reason why they withhold information from the public. So, for example, the Delphi murders. Yeah, it's one of those where we have not much to go off of, but we know they have so much more information And they're just waiting on someone to come forward with information that corroborates that so they can have a lead and discover, you know, who did it. It can be frustrating as someone who really has no ties to the case to just want more information, but they have to play it safe. So in this case, it worked out, obviously, because this person calls and is like, I have info that obviously only she knew. So the police take photos of Christine and Chris to the eyewitness neighbor who saw two young people walking towards the house that day. And they pause. This is like years later, though. Three years later. And they confirm both Christine and Chris. And not only that, but they remember, but remember when they had um, gone through the last 48 hours of phone calls on the victims' phones? Mm If they had just gone back 24 more hours, they would have seen that Christine was in contact with Rachel and Tiffany that day. And had they known that, maybe they could have solved this sooner. But I guess it's just kind of protocol to only go back 48 hours. However, if they had gone back just 72 hours, they would have probably contacted Christine or seen a connection between Christine, Rachel, and Tiffany. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? They were best friends. So maybe it wouldn't have been that outlandish for them to have been in contact. But it does just seem kind of like... Were they not questioned right after? Christine was not, no. And Chris wasn't either? No. I don't even think that they knew Chris was literally like ever introduced the first to them. Thing I was thinking when you said it was it was Chris and Christine. Yeah, but I don't think anybody like put those pieces together. I'm a freaking guy on a couch listening to the podcast that I've never <laughs> even into crime and it's the first people I thought. Yeah. And I get so that how but did I- nobody else like say, Hey, 
let's look at those people. Yeah. Well, I think because Christine was their best friends, so any mutual friends would have never assumed it was Christine because they were best friends. Yeah, but we freaking have done 43 episodes where it's like <laughs> the person next to him half the time. So Right, but I don't think anyone else also knew that Chris had been inter- introduced to them at that point. So they probably didn't even know that they had met Chris. So I mean, I don't know. Of a case or like of... I don't know. I get it. I get that it's kind of just like... It was the first people I thought. I'm late for Well, of course, but I'm telling the story. I mean, think about it in real time as it was going on. Why would they have suspected Christine? She's their best friend. I don't know. Exactly. You know? You don't know? Okay. (laughs) So... You have to cuss me out. So July 19th, they track Christine down to a La Quinta Inn where her and her husband, Justin Rott, had been staying in for seven months. During those seven months of living in this hotel room, they never allowed housekeeping to come into the room. So when police arrived, what they found in the room was appalling. The room smelled like death. And inside the room, they found almost 100 needles on a countertop with residue of heroin in them. The room had random spots. There's pictures of the room, too, on on the internet. The room had random spots of blood just, like, scattered throughout the room, vomit in various places, trash, and remnants from a diet that consisted of mostly soda, Cheez-Its, and Reese's peanut butter cups. And lastly, they came upon Christine and her husband, Justin Rott, both alive but completely incoherent and high on high on heroin, just God. zombies. So it's actually quite frightening to it's look super at super scary to think about. Yeah. To look at the pictures of Christine, her eyes are just black. Like the she's got huge, super dark circles around her eyes. Her hair is just a huge you mess. Put a picture Be- of it on the page. Yeah, I'll put it on our Instagram page. But um, her hair is a mess because she has alopecia, so it's not it's not growing all over. I mean, she just she looks like a zombie. Like I don't know how else to explain it. She's just a mess. So they um, they bring Christine in for questioning as she's coming off of this high. She's suffering from severe withdrawals. In her statement, she says that it was Chris's idea to steal Marcus's stash of drugs. And she said that she tried to talk him out of it, but that didn't work, and that she drove him to the house that day, but that she never went inside. She said he came out shortly after carrying a bag of weed and then told her that he shot them. But she is maintaining that she had like nothing to do with it. But what Christine didn't know was that just Justin was in the next room being interrogated as well. And he sang like a canary. Christine told Justin that they both went into the house that day and that Chris got the drugs while she killed them all. She told Justin that after she shot them all, she saw Rachel crawling, gagging on her own blood, reaching for her cell phone when she went up to her and beat her over the head with the blunt end of her gun, like the the base of her gun, like a hammer. And she said that Rachel's last words were, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? So police confront Christine. Such a sick scene to picture. Yeah. These are your friends. And the fact that the phone was right there in her hand, has she had dialed 911. This is like almost too much to listen to. Yeah. It's super sad. 
Yeah, I mean, they did nothing to deserve this at all. Nothing. And they took her under her belt? Yeah. Like, they took her under their wing and, and yeah. helped her? Yes. That's what really, like, stunned me about it, was just, like, how can you betray somebody that helped you? I don't know. So police confront Christine with Justin's story. She denies everything, shuts the interview down because she says she needs a nurse, that her withdrawals are so severe she needs medical attention. The investigators send her to to be detoxed, but immediately resume with questioning the next day. And by then, Christine has changed her story. Now, she says, Christine forced her to go up the driveway at gunpoint. Christine, you mean Chris? No, I'm saying Chris forced her to go up. Chris, her boyfriend. Christine. When? Oh, Chris forced her to go up the driveway at gunpoint. And that she did have a gun when she walked into the house, but that it was Chris who shot everyone. And at the end, she says Chris told her to finish the job while he held his hand over her hand that held the gun and forced her finger... Forced her finger to pull the trigger. So she's just like not taking any responsibility whatsoever. Christine ended up getting charged with four counts of first degree murder and she was held without bail, but now they needed to find Chris, but he was already on the run. He knew that they were closing in on him. So he, he went on the run. They searched for Chris for two weeks before they finally find him in a secluded wooded area, but when they find him, it's too late because he'd been dead for a while from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, basically rotting in the woods in the Texas heat in August. So I'll just let your imagination run wild with that information. But unfortunately, his death means that Christine's, it's Christine's word against a dead guy's who isn't speaking for himself. So She shows up for trial, and her outfit is hilarious. She has a pink collared shirt with this black vest over it and this baby pink headband over this nice wig. Like, she literally looks like a child. But it wouldn't matter because justice was served when she was found guilty of all four counts of capital murder. Since she was a juvenile when the murders occurred, she was able to avoid the death penalty, but she was sentenced to life in prison, and she has since filed multiple appeals, but they've all been denied. As of now, she sits in the Mountain View unit in Gatesville, Texas, and will be eligible for parole in 2046 at the age of 60. Shouldn't even be eligible for parole then. You know, when I saw that, you know, when I saw that she was convicted on all four counts, I'm like, sweet, life in prison. And then I re- kept reading and it said, eligible for parole. I was Absolutely like, wait, what? Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Pretty that crazy. Was a really infuriating one. And like hardcore scenes to picture in your head, like picturing them in that hotel room for seven uh. months and all the needles and vomit and the, their diet and like what they probably looked like and acted like. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, just a out there, disgusting, mm-hmm. sad, horrible thing to think about and envision. Mm-hmm. And then the murders. And then shocker, yeah. she lacks ownership, like every yeah. loser in life. Yeah. God. Pretty wild. Yeah. Um, anyway. That was a hardcore one. It was pretty hardcore. I'm about to go to bed now that I think about that. Yeah, super sorry. Um, so anyway, that's the story of Christine Palilla. And uh, yeah, 
that was requested, so there it is. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, a, it was a hell of a mystery. Yeah. Even though I pegged it in four seconds. Which actually shocks me. That's wild. Because you're not usually the type to, like, see these things coming. And I really thought there was a chance I was going to get you at this time, but not I didn't. So, oh, well. Share the post, guys. Share the story. Tag us. Do all those things. Please. We appreciate it a lot. Appreciate you listening. I appreciate sending you guys little messages here and there on Kelly's phone. Yes, it's so fun. And we'll be back on Friday with another episode for you guys. So thank you. Mystery out. Bye. Austin, I'm not going to. High five me, I'm touching your face. I don't want to high five your foot. But you're going to. There. Backhanded. Good job. Thanks. Thanks.